1: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. The third day of February 2021. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call. We have dug out and we are ready to roll. Uh, I spent uh, quite a bit of time on the snowblower yesterday. We got about 13 inches of snow here in Middletown, Connecticut, so... The good news is it's mostly over, although this storm doesn't seem to want to completely go away. We still had some light snow overnight, but uh, uh, this was a, it was a big one. So anyway, a lot to get to this morning. Coming up at 9.30, Matthew Corey, who is uh, the host of the Sox Outsider podcast, also uh, has a, uh, a blog and a website. It's, uh, he is a great writer. He's a good read. Uh, I highly recommend it. So he is going to be with us at 9.30. We're going to talk about the composition of the Red Sox roster, where it is right now, uh, maybe uh, you know what, what moves they still need to make and uh, you know what the prospects look like for the upcoming season. So we'll do that at 9.30. We actually taped the interview last night. He is in Portland, Oregon. I didn't want to make the poor guy have to get up at the crack of dawn, so we taped it last night. So we'll have that coming up at 9.30. I stayed up late last night and watched uh, – the Celtics game. Well, I didn't watch it all. I watched. I watched three quarters of it, and it was midnight. And I said, I got to go to bed. It's, I, I always hate it when the teams are on the West Coast, but the Celtics with a nice win last night. Uh, they snapped a, a, a two-game losing streak. They beat the Golden State Warriors one eleven to one o seven. Steph Curry was ridiculous as he usually is. He poured in thirty eight points, had seven threes last night. Uh you know, he is a machine. And there really didn't seem to be anything that they could do. They made a couple of adjustments late in the game that slowed him down a little bit. Matter of fact, he missed a big uh, three-pointer late in the game that cemented the victory for the Celtics. He has, get this, I mean, he is is crazy. He had uh, 96 three-pointers. He scored 17,000 points in 12 years. By the way, he matched Wilt Chamberlain as the only other warrior to score 17,000 points with the Golden State Warriors. But you know, when we talk about greatest players of all time, you know how Michael Jordan's name is talked about. LeBron James, you know who's the, you know who was the best? Was it Larry Bird? Was it Magic John? Who was the greatest player of all time? Well, I'm gonna tell you something. And I remember, I remember the end of Wilt's career. Well, not the very end, but I, I probably watched the last third of Wilt's career when I was a kid growing up. This guy was unreal. Steph Curry has scored 17,000 points for Golden State in 12 years. Wilt Chamberlain scored almost 18,000 points for Golden State in half the time. That's right, in six years. Six years. He was, you know, I think that he is overlooked a lot. There were some great battles. Uh, A young Lew Alcindor, later Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, battling against Wilt Chamberlain, who was at the end of his career. Uh, But that was, uh, Wilt was a hell of a player. He was, again, I think vastly underrated. Uh, But anyway, a a good win for the Celtics last night. It was a tight game. The Celtics had a one-point lead at the half. Uh, They had a one-point lead at the end of the third quarter. And uh, they pulled away at the end a couple of free throws. Late uh, by Jason Tatum, the difference in this one. Tatum with 27 points to lead the way for the Celtics last night. A good effort by pretty much everybody. Daniel Tice had, only had 8 points, but he had 11 rebounds last night. Took up some space in the middle. Uh, had a big block shot on, a, on what looked like it was going to be an easy layup. Uh, so big game for him last night. Uh, Jalen Brown, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, uh, it was nice to see Kemba Walker, 19 points last night. Still didn't shoot the ball great, but he was 1-for-12 against the Lakers the other night. Uh, still not great last night, 6-for-18, but he made some wide-open shots, uh, had seven rebounds, had five assists, did a little bit of everything. So that was good to see. If you're a Celtics fan, you're, you're relieved by that. Tristan Thompson last night, uh, the big kid for the Celtics, Five for five shooting at 13 points. He had eight rebounds. Now, he had a bit of an easy night last night because Golden State's uh, lost their starting center, Kevin Looney, to a sprained ankle in the second half. So he goes out, and so it was a little bit easier for Thompson. Uh, James Weissman was already out with a sprained left wrist that he he did against Detroit on Saturday night. So it was a very small Golden State lineup last night, and the Celtics' bigs. Uh, took advantage of it. They out-rebounded Golden State big last night, 51-36. to So uh, a good win. Now the Celtics have to turn around and play at Sacramento tonight. Uh, it's the second game of a five-game West Coast trip. The question tonight is, and, and the indication is, is that Kemba Walker probably won't play tonight. Brad Stevens has said, you know, now while they've given him the free reign to play minutes, They're going to try to avoid him playing in back-to-back games as often as possible because they don't want any recurrence of the knee trouble uh, that he suffered last year that led to knee surgery, that led to a late start to this season. So he may not play tonight, which is going to make it even more difficult for the Celtics considering they're not going to have Marcus Smart for at least the next two weeks with that uh, grade one strain of his left calf. Um, So... You know, it's going to put a lot more pressure on guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum tonight to pick up that slack. You don't have Marcus Smart's uh, scoring. as The defense with Marcus Smart's the biggest part. But if you take – now you don't have his offense as well and you don't have Kemba Walker, uh, somebody else is going to have to step up tonight. So we'll have to see if indeed they don't play Kemba Walker. But that is the early indication that that is going – that's going to happen. Um, The big news – and we didn't talk about it yesterday because uh, of the, of the uh, my date with my snowblower. Uh, Dustin Pedroia officially retired from the Boston Red Sox. This is the kind of the, uh, I don't know, I guess you would say the most, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, this is something we, he's basically been retired for the better part of three years, folks. Uh, you know, when you think about it, he, he got injured back in uh, 2016. Played through it, had surgery uh, after the season was over. Seventeen games into the 2017 season, we all remember this: the slide into second base when Manny Machado took him out, further damaged that knee. A lot of people think it was a dirty play. I, you know, look, I kind of, I kind of do too. Although Pedroia, when he announced his retirement said that he's, not, that he's not upset about it anymore. He was mad in the beginning, but he said, look, he said, when you play second base the way I did, you know, you hang on to the last possible second to get the ball, try to turn the double play, that kind of thing. He said, so, you know, it could have happened any time during his career because of the way he played second base. I think that was a uh, magnanimous gesture by Dustin Pedroia, but I still think it was a dirty play, but be that as it may. Uh, but that was the beginning of the end. You know, he did a stop and start the last – I didn't play at all last year in the pandemic season. And the years before that, I think he played, what, nine games? In 2000, between two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen, I think he played nine games. So we've all known this was coming. We've all known that, that look he's still he still owed, I think, thirteen million dollars on his contract. So the Red Sox are still on the hook. But what it does do for Boston is it opens up a spot on the forty man roster and I would assume there's going to be some more moves to come for Boston yet. They've still got a couple of holes they need to address. So this will give them the opportunity to have that spot on the 40-man roster not have to worry about uh, potentially moving somebody off of there that they could lose um, on a waiver claim. So we'll, you know, that's, that's the good news. And, and look, uh, Pedroia had a hell of a career. He is one of only 10 players in history. And this is – I didn't know this. This is impressive. Ten players in history with a rookie of the year, MVP, gold glove, and a World Series title. Only ten people in history have done that. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Four gold gloves in his career, most ever for any Red Sox infielder. And he is one of just three Red Sox to have 100 home runs and 100 stolen bases in his career. The other two, Mookie Betts and Carl Yastrzemski. Pretty good company. Uh, A guy that – Always was swinging for the fences. Yet, do you know he walked almost as many times as he struck out? He struck out 654 times in his career, and he walked 624. You know, those are numbers. You don't see those kinds of numbers anymore. You know, everybody now, at the strikeout numbers are so big. Uh, So, even though, you know, Petey liked to try to hit the ball to the moon, uh, he did a good job of making contact and not striking out an awful lot. Uh, He is in the top 10 in all times games played for the Red Sox. Uh, you know, 290 career hitter. 299 actually, almost 300, and 805 career OPS. And I didn't talk to Matt Corey about this when we when we did the interview last night, but um, you know, the the a lot of people as soon as somebody retires that somebody that has played for a while um, the question always becomes, is he a Hall of Famer? And Matt Corey had wrote a nice piece um, about Dustin Pedroia's career, making the case that, yeah, yeah, he probably is a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure that I agree with that, to be honest with you. I mean, I think. Pedroia was a heck of a player. I think nobody got more out of his talent than Tustin Pedroia did. But I'm not sure that this is a guy who is a Hall of Famer. You know, and look, everybody wants to use uh, these new metrics. And uh, uh, there's this – Jay Jaffe did what's called the the, the Jaws score. Uh, And – by doing that, it, it blends a whole bunch of different metrics. And ac- according to Jay Jaffe, Dustin Pedroia is the 20th ranked second baseman of all time. Um. Oh well. Look, uh, that's pretty impressive. No question. Um, but I still don't see him as a Hall of Famer. Look, if you rank him as the 20th best based on these metrics, there are guys. For instance, Lou Whitaker belongs in the Hall of Fame. And if you look at some of these advanced metrics, you look at this Jaws score that they've come up with, you look at career war, if war is wins above replacement, if war is something that you're into, uh, Lou Whitaker belongs in the Hall of Fame way before Dustin Padre is. There's other guys, guys like Bobby Gritch, believe it or not. Uh, guys like Chase Utley that had careers and did things. Willie Randolph from the New York Yankees uh, has a higher career war, has a higher career jaws. I mean, there's so many different things that, you know, so he's a good player. I'm just not sure he's a Hall of Famer. You know, he compares the guy, by the way, somebody that's getting a lot of traction for the Hall of Fame now, people think he belongs in, Jeff Kent. Well, based on this you know, this Jaws score, Jeff Kent is one tick below Dustin Pedroya. So if Jeff Kent gets in, then you can make the case, you know, that Pedroya should get in. But frankly, if Lou Whitaker is not in the Hall of Fame, Dustin Pedroya does not belong in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. And I like, look, I like the way the guy gave maximum effort. You know, he had teammates telling him during his career, hey, slow down. You know, don't do things 100 miles an hour. You're going to hurt yourself. David Ortiz talked about it in an interview a couple of times that, hey, little guy, you know, take it easy. But Pedroia knew no other way to play. He was very intense. And there are people that don't have great opinions of Dustin Pedroia because of the chip on his shoulder, because of – uh, his interactions with some members of the media sometimes. Uh, he could be a, an a-hole. I saw a couple – while I was working at Fenway Park, I saw a couple of interactions with him with fans that were not exactly the best. But, you know, when you catch a guy that just came off the field after a tough loss, you know, and maybe he didn't have a great game, you know, it's understandable. He was an intense dude. I'm sure – you know what? I'm sure he's still an intense dude even though he's not playing. Uh, but again, you know, if you look at his career, he had a nice career, you know. But the other part about his career, when you look about at it, it's really a short career, you know. Baseball Reference will tell you that he played for fourteen years, but he really didn't, you know. He really played for about eleven or twelve years. That's a very short career for a Hall of Famer. There are damn few Hall of Famers in that played that short a time. Jackie Robinson's one of them. Uh, you know, you got a guy like uh, uh, Sandy Koufax didn't play a lot because of the, the arm troubles, and he hung it up. You know, there's a lot of guys uh, in the Hall of Fame, but not many that have had careers that short. So I think that is going to hurt him as well. So I don't think – I think he belongs in the Hall of Very Good, but I don't think he measures up to the Hall of Fame. Just one's ma- one, one man's opinion. Uh, other baseball news. The Red Sox uh, have announced that, uh, well, as of right now anyway, spring training is going to start on February 17th when pitchers and catchers report because the Major League Baseball Players Association uh, vetoed the proposal by Major League Baseball to start spring training a month late and uh, shorten the season to 154 games. So as of right now, pitchers and catchers report on the 17th. Uh, First spring training game for the Red Sox is scheduled to be March the 1st. Now the Red Sox have announced that they are only going to allow 2,400 fans into JetBlue Park down in uh, Fort Myers. uh, Ballpark capacity, by the way, is almost 10,000. So they're going to limit it to about 25% capacity they're going to sell seats in blocks of uh, two to four that will allow six feet between the groups. Uh, season ticket holders are going to get first dibs. So if you are coming down there and you're not a season ticket holder there, you're not getting a seat. There are a lot of season ticket holders. Season, uh, tickets to spring training games for the Red Sox are damn near impossible to get on a, on a good year when when they can fill the ballpark. Getting it now when it's just 2400 forget it. You know, so, uh, you know, leave it to the folks that are down there and are are season ticket holders. Um, So full workouts will start on February the 22nd. And as as I said, March 1, first games. Uh, All the games are going to be 105 starts. And, you know, look, we'll see. You know, Arizona has already asked Major League Baseball to delay spring training. The players have said no. So as of right now, even in Arizona, you know, they're heading your way. Um, So, and look, if they can play – NBA basketball inside, and they can play NHL hockey inside, I see no reason why baseball can't be played outside. None. You know, look, if these players do the right thing and and keep their distance and don't go out, you know, to to crowded bars and restaurants and wear their mask and do the right thing. Look, they managed to pull off a 60-game season last year. There's no reason why they can't do it this year. If they do the right thing, um, we've got a story about uh, Mickey Callaway, former New York Mets manager, now uh, the Angels' pitching coach. Uh, we're going to get to that tomorrow. I don't have time this morning because I got the Matt Corey interview coming up. But it is uh, another example of fellas. You know, you gotta you gotta calm down with this. I mean, just like Jared Porter, who got fired from the Mets, the new general manager who lasted uh, a couple of days uh, Mickey Callaway is probably going to be out of baseball. We'll, we'll talk more about that tomorrow, but it's, you know, stop sending pictures and stop sending and, and doing things to female reporters. What is the matter with you? Honest to God. So but we'll t- we'll talk we'll talk more about that tomorrow, but it is just uh, it, it kind of sickening. Um, UConn women's basketball plays tonight. They have a game against St. John's 630 at Gampel Pavilion. They haven't played St. John's since 2018. Um, they lead the all-time series 41, 17. This is not going to be close. Uh, St. John's is, uh, five and nine, I believe two and seven in the big East. They're coming off an overtime loss to Villanova, uh, a win over Georgetown, but they're just not very good. Uh, so, they are going to get drilled by the Huskies, who will go to 12-1. and one. Um, And Gino Ariema had a conversation yesterday. They're in a position right now for UConn. They have 10 games over the next 27 days. For So for essentially every other day for the next month, UConn is going to be playing. The season is supposed to end on March 1st. So they don't have a lot of time to get the rest of these games in. So it's going to be a pretty intense schedule. Uh, they'll play tonight. They'll play again on Friday, and then they have number two South Carolina coming to stores on Monday. Uh, that is going to be a huge test for this team. But So he's going to have to dig a little bit deeper into his bench, but he was asked yesterday about the potential of not having a conference tournament. Um, there is a good number, probably in the 30 to 40% range of coaches across the country that have said, hey, look, uh, we shouldn't have conference tournaments this year. With everything going on and we're struggling to play regular season games, and then, you know, we shouldn't play conference tournaments. Conference tournaments don't really you know, the only thing that comes out of a conference tournament is every now and then there'll be some huge upset and some team will play its way into the NCAA tournament that might not have gotten the opportunity otherwise. But by and large, conference tournaments go pretty much according to Hoyle. The only thing it might affect is your seating in the NCAA tournament, but 99 times out of 100 the conference tournament well I shouldn't say it, maybe 90 times out of 100 the conference tournament does not get you into the NCAA tournament if you weren't already in you know it does happen on occasion but not that often and as Gino said he said look i, I he doesn't think they should have it he said it's not a money maker it's supposed to be about the student experience he said if we're going to play conference tournaments in front of no fans what's the point you're not making money to begin with even when you do have fans. It's it's to, you know, to help teams maybe get into the NCAA tournament and to give, you know, the student-athletes something to play for. He said, but if there's nobody there, what difference does it make and why put ourselves in further risk and maybe give yourself, um, you know, play your way out of the NCAA tournament because you have some coronavirus problems, you know? So – It'll be interesting to see what happens. The NCAA selection show is March 15th, and if we have more and more postponements, they may decide to blow off the conference tournaments and extend the regular season maybe another week to 10 days to give some of these teams a chance to finish out their regular season schedules. That It may, it may become a matter of necessity rather than uh, need to cancel these tournaments simply because you don't have enough time left to finish all the games. So, uh, but Gino Auriemma for one uh, appears to be in favor of canceling the big East tournament, you know, and, and a lot of people are going to say, yeah, well, that's because you know, you're in and you know, you're one of the best teams in the country. And as he said in his interview, well, look, you had all season to play your way in. And if you didn't do it, you know, in a situation like this, I don't see, you know, what the point is to, to put our kids at further risk. And I, I can't say that I disagree. 28 minutes past the hour, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Matt Corey of the Sox Outsider will join us. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call, and we are pleased to have a new guest on our show. Matthew Corey joins us from Portland, Oregon, but he writes about, believe it or not, from Portland, Oregon, he writes about the Red Sox. He's got a new blog a website and a podcast called Sox Outsider. It is a great read. I highly recommend it. And uh, I had to get him on, and uh, we're going to get him on during the season just because he's got great insights to a lot of the things that are happening there. Uh, good morning, Matt. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Um, let's start, first of all, this free agent season has been slow, to say the least. I mean, not just the Red Sox. It took a while for everything. Matter of fact, there's still more free agents available than have been signed, and the Red Sox finally made some moves, yet they still have an awful lot of holes in this this roster. There's no question about it. And the biggest hole to me right now, if you look at it, is that outfield. There are still a lot mm-hmm. of questions. I mean, is Benny going to be in left? Uh, is Verdugo going to be in center? Does that make Hunter Renfro our right fielder? Does that make you, as, a, as somebody who follows the Red Sox, is that an outfield that gets you excited?
0: Well, it get, gets me excited is a strong way of putting it. I, I No, <laughs> especially, you know, a couple years ago when the Red Sox were running out, you know, Ben Intendi and, and Jackie Bradley and Mookie Betts. Um, so I think in comparison, this, uh, you know, this outfield potentially the way I have it set up now is is not uh, certainly not anything to get you going. But um, there's a couple things. I mean, as you pointed out, there's still a lot of free agents available. You know, it's early February. Spring training looks like it's going to start in a couple of weeks. So I imagine there are going to, there's going to be uh, some more signings. Uh, Jackie Bradley's still out there somehow. So I, I think he would be a great addition, uh, you know, especially depending on what they're able to get him for. I, the other thing is Jaron Duran, who is a prospect, should be in A this year. He's a converted infielder, but uh, has played, uh, center field I, I believe most of the time in the red Sox organization if not exclusively um he uh, you know scouting indicates he's still learning the position but he's got uh, very impressive speed and that should translate to above average defense i think the team hopes at some point in the near future so uh, i don't know about holding a position open for for someone like that I, you know I'm, i don't think that's what they're doing but um I definitely think that they don't want to commit long term to somebody and close that door, if that makes sense. It's kind of a kind of straddling the middle there. Um, You know, I think Verdugo can play center. He doesn't. uh, I I don't think, you know, anyone's going to confuse him with Jackie Bradley, but I think they can reasonably put him out there. Um, I mean, clearly, as you pointed out, Renfro is the, you know, the weak link there. I I think he's, you know, he's a bench player, platoon guy, and I think he's stretched as a starter. Um, But, you know, if you get to a point in May or June where uh, Duran can come up, then you can move, uh, you know, Verdugo over to right, and then you've got some depth. The only problem with that is that you've got April, May, and June, and that's also a what-if scenario anyway. So um, I... think they're better off in twenty twenty-one with Jackie Bradley and I my guess is that they think that too. Um but I think that they are at a point uh financially where you know they're not they're not gonna spend a lot. And right. you know, so I, I think they're they're kind of trying to straddle everything here. Um you know they got they signed Kike Hernandez Hernandez can play the outfield. Also, he's not a center fielder, but you know he can he can fill in in um, outfield corners. Um, and they're rumored to be interested in Marwin Gonzalez, who's another guy who plays just a ton of different positions like Hernandez. So I, I think they're trying to to build in you know redundancy after redundancy, just to uh, you know to to keep that you know that floor uh, keep it high, which is something that they failed to do last year. You know, we saw the pitching staff you know, fail Epically. big time last year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that was, you know, people talk about depth. I mean, they had depth. It was just bad. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it's like, it wasn't like they ever had to forfeit they were, they were pitchers on the mound. They were just really bad pitchers. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think this year, you know, especially in the rotation there is you know, there's a lot more uh depth and i think that depth is starting to percolate a little bit through the system you know based on the signings that they're that they're doing i i i was a little critical of uh of bloom's offseason um and you know as you noted it took him a while to get going but i you know i think he was very specific about what he wanted to get uh, you know what he wanted to sign players to contractually and uh and you know i think the team is it's it, it sort of I don't know, poised to surprise some people.
1: Well, I saw the one of the uh, latest stories you had was about uh, fan graphs. Actually, it was very kind, I thought, to the Red Sox. Uh, and put yeah. them like, in yeah. one of the like, top six or seven in the major leagues in terms of winning percentage this year. And to be honest with you, look, if that happens, um, I will be one of the most surprised people in America, I think. But <laughs> and, 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 hey, look, I hope they're right. But I just – I have – too many questions about too many positions on this team. Look, we know we know that third base is going to be fine. I mean, Devers he's going to get I I firmly believe Alex Cora being there is going to make him better again. Whatever Cora's magic that he had with him be, before the whole mess with the uh, the cheating scandal happened, it worked. So I'm hoping he gets that back. We don't we don't have to worry about Bogart's. Um I worry about the right side a little bit. Now Kike Hernandez is is an average second baseman at best, I would say. But I worry about first base. They're putting a lot of faith in some kind of a platoon with Bobby Dahlbeck and Michael Chavis. And Dahlbeck showed some power last year, but both those guys have struggled to find consistency at the plate. And I worry about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that's something to worry about. I I wouldn't be too worried about Michael Chavis. And the reason is I don't think he's going to start the year on the Major League roster. Um, If they don't trade him, um, I would expect him to start in AAA. Really? I, yeah, I don't see where he fits on this roster right now. Um, you know, they've been rumored to, like I said before, you know, be interested in Marwin Gonzalez and the other guy that they've been talking to is Mitch Moreland. And I think Moreland, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, yeah, I know <laughs>
1: uh, every
0: year. Yeah. Eh, yeah. He's, he's great. I love Mitch Moreland. I he's getting a little old, but, uh, but there you go. so, so um, aren't we Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everyone ages at the same speed.
1: They, they do. Yeah.
0: Um, but uh yeah, I think Moreland fits in pretty well. He would be the you know, the long part of that that platoon uh at first base and you know the steadying in- influence in the clubhouse and that sort of thing as well. And I think that takes some pressure off of a guy like Dahlbeck, um, you know, who can probably bounce between first base and uh uh you know and DH and maybe picking up a couple starts at third base if if they uh you know if, if Devers needs a, a, a night off or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, I, I think that's really the thing that is most impressive about this team is its flexibility. There's, there's some guys who are just, you know, married to one position,
1: J.D. Martinez, um,
0: you know, Martinez. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not playing the outfield. If he playing
1: the outfield, something's gone horribly wrong.
0: Yeah. But you know, Bogarts will be at short. And as you said, uh, you know, Devers will be at third, but uh, you know, and, and of course Vasquez will be behind the plate, but almost everybody else, you know, can move around almost everybody else. I mean, I think, bizarrely, the one of the few guys uh, who I wouldn't move around too much is Ben Intendi. I,
1: I, right. Agreed.
0: Don't, I don't like him in center, but I, I don't think that they would be, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they would put him there for, for some innings or a game if need be. So um, I think there's a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of depth. Um, and it's come together, you know, more quickly than I think I foresaw um, I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out on the field. Yeah, I, I agree. Fangraphs is, uh, you know, bullish, uh, yeah, well, well. especially after what we saw last year.
1: Uh, well, let's – you mentioned the rotation. And when starting the season, I don't mind this, you know, the, the top third of my rotation. I'm not too upset with, with, with Erod, you know, providing that he really is bounced back from the myocarditis situation uh, yeah. e- Evaldi, and Garrett Richards. I don't mind that th- th- that three based on, you know, their their career history. I think you've got a pretty good top three right there. Martin Perez, look, he's an innings eater, and he wasn't horrendous last year. He's a guy that took the ball every fifth day. He wasn't horrendous. He's not going to win a Cy Young, but he's serviceable. That fifth spot, you know, between whether it's going to be Nick Pavetta, whether it's going to be Taylor Houck, you know, I-, I don't know. But I don't hate the rotation to start the season
0: yeah i am with you i kind of i mean i i knew they had to make uh you know changes to the rotation and i obviously they knew that too it wasn't um any kind of rocket scientist to look rocket science to look at the uh you know the, the rotation they had last year and go oh this needs to uh, be fixed um and i, I think uh, i think halk will be in triple a to start the year i agree um he still needs to work on the third pitch. He still needs to work on getting lefties out, even though, you know, he had three really nice starts at the end of the year. Uh, looked pretty good. Hopefully he can build upon that in AAA, and, and he can be, you know, option 1A if they need, uh, need anything in the rotation. Yep. Uh, I would expect Pavetta to get that fifth spot unless unless he's really bad, in, in which case maybe move him to the bullpen. I mean, he doesn't have any options remaining, so right. he's a guy that has to stay on the major league roster, or they're going to lose him. Now, if he's terrible, losing him's not, you know, too yeah, big exactly. of a problem, right? right. Uh, but you know, I think the I think the Red Sox like him. Um, you know, he's been one of those guys that I think smart teams have been trying to get a hold of for a long time to to pry him away from Philadelphia and see what they can do with that stuff. Uh, so this, I think, it'll be interesting. And and you know, he was. You know, it was just just two starts uh, at the end of the season last year, but um, he was pretty good in those two starts. I don't know how much um, you know you want to put in ten innings, but a lot of strikeouts, not too many walks. I think he gave up one homer or something like yeah. that. It looked looked uh, looked reasonable. It was in command. Um, you know, he, he might be a guy that you know maybe you limit. You know, sort of do the raise thing. You know, two times through the order, and then you know, then you pull him even if he's at you know 65 pitches or whatever, um, and get somebody else in there just to you know get a different look for the you know for the hitters. But uh, you know, if if uh, if that's the worst case scenario for your fifth starter, I don't have a problem with it. So yeah, I think I think it's come together well, and and they've got uh, you know they'll have Halcon Triple A, Brian Mata and Connor Siebold are both down there too. So hopefully those guys will be getting ready. Should be, you know, potentially ready uh, for both of those guys to come up to the majors at some point this year, if uh, you know, if they pitch well, and then of course Chris Sale's coming back at some point. We hope so. There's a there's a lot of potential to to step into the rotation and and make it even better without them having to even make any trades or moves.
1: I, I get the sense from what I've read back here on the East Coast that when Sale does come back, that Sox fans should not expect him to get the ball every fifth day. They should expect that he might be a once-a-week guy because they he's just starting that new contract extension, and the Red Sox want to be very, very careful that they are able to get the maximum benefit out of that and make sure he doesn't blow that arm out again.
0: I mean, that's the first I've heard of it, but I wouldn't surprise me if if they were extremely careful with him. I mean, it, it makes sense for all the reasons you just said, Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it'll one, one determining factor will be, you know, what does the team look like in, in July? Right. You know, when, when he's coming back, are they 15 games, you know, back of the division and six games out of the wild card with, you know, four or five teams in between them in the second spot, then, then there's just no sense. reason. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's no reason to push him at all. Um, if you get, you know, three innings out of him a week, then you get three innings out of them a week. That's, you know, and then you. Get him back uh, into a regular off-season program and and build him back up and and hopefully he gives you 180 innings in 2022.
1: Well, the biggest I think the biggest obstacle to all of this is going to be Chris Sale because I don't think you know that he is <laughs> he's going to be okay with pitching once a week and pitching three or four innings. I think that's going to be the biggest thing they're going to have to do is try to hold him back.
0: Yeah, he's he's a competitor and and you know reining him in is is definitely going to be you know a challenge for uh for cora uh but you know he's also not an idiot and he uh knows you know i think the situation that the you know the team's in and that and that he's in contractually and um so you know i mean he gutted it out in 2018 you know yeah. because of where the team was right. and um you know he knew he could be helpful in these in these little bits here and there coming out of the bullpen at the end but um You know, if and if that's you know, if they're a 95 win team this year against all expectations, then, uh, you know, I would expect that he'll reprise that role. But, uh, you know, if you're looking at 75 to 82 wins, then, you know, then it makes more sense to be uh, be careful.
1: So you and I talked about this a little bit before we went on the air. And I mentioned that my biggest concern with this team is the bullpen. Um, you know, I like the signing of Adam Adovino and you have to hope that the, you're going to get the Adovino from a couple of years ago in Colorado and not the one that mm-hmm. pitched for the New York Yankees. Uh, Matt Barnes, he walks too many guys for me. He loves that curveball too much. And, and to me, you know, he goes, it seems like he goes three and two on everybody. And then after that, it's like, well, you got a lot of guys with the potential you've got Everybody loves Colton Brewer, but his numbers haven't shown us anything. Uh, Everybody loves Darwin's or Hernandez, but the kid's young and he hasn't proven anything. Matt Andrees, you know, he might be okay. He might not. You know, I don't know. But right now, Phillips Valdez is the big reliever they're talking about from last year. Boy, what a great find this guy was. You know, and he pitched a few good innings, but I looked him up. He had a whip last year of 1.6. I'm not too excited about that. You know, so I'm a little bit worried, you know, and do we get the Ryan Brazier that pitched well for the Red Sox or do we get the Ryan Brazier from two years ago who was horrendous? So I just don't know what to expect out of this bullpen. And it was one of the worst bullpens in the major leagues last year.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely, the I think, the biggest wild card, um, you know, of all the the spots on, you know, on the roster. Um you know, and, and you make, I think, good points with, with all of those uh, guys. There's there's a lot to be, you know, they, they just, for whatever reason, um, they don't have a combination of, you know, proven and good. They have unproven and potential, and then they have proven and flawed. Um, yep. And, you know, I, I think Adovino and Barnes both fit that second description. Um, you know, they're both guys who... I think can be premium relievers, but they throw a lot of pitches out of the strike zone and depend uh, a lot on batters chasing yep. and that can be a dangerous thing in the ninth inning. i had Eno saris of the athletic on my podcast um, it was a couple days ago uh, and and we talked about this uh how batters tend to swing less in the ninth inning than they do in any other inning, which is something i Eno mentioned, and I didn't know that. Um, I'm actually surprised by that. Yeah, um, (laughs) I was too. But, you know, when they it makes sense uh, when you think about it, and on top of that, when you've got two guys vying for the ninth inning role who, you know, throw strikes at about a 45% clip, that, you get a little, you know, a little worried, start maybe sweating a little bit. Um, I like Derwins and Hernandez a lot, but he's a, he's like a lot of these guys. He is, you know, big strikeout, big walk. And they have, you know, the the bullpen I think is, it's going to be, you know, they're going to, they're going to get three outs in uh in, in one game. And then the next game they're going to come in and walk two guys and give up a homer. And, uh, awesome. I I think it, I, yeah, no, I I think it's, I think there's going to be these, these big blowups there, you know, it, they're just too many guys who don't throw enough strikes and you know one thing that i like about hernandez is he's young and you know they can that's a kind of thing that can reverse you know you can you can learn how to throw strikes uh you know and improve on on that skill i think for a guy like barnes who's 30 and Ottavino, who's 35 that's it's a lot harder Mm -hmm. to uh you know to get that to happen um but one thing i said to you before we started recording and and i do think it's true is of all of the groups you know in the on a major league roster fixing the bullpen i mean if it's an utter disaster then then that's hard to do but um but you know mid-year you can you can easily improve upon a bad bullpen it's not extraordinarily costly to do so you can bring prospects up from the minors i mentioned you know Sebold and mata those are guys that they could plug into the Uh, into the bullpen if they wanted to in in mid-year if they're pitching well um, they could go out and and get a guy uh so i you know there's there's ways to to fix those problems you know in midstream that said you know once the those problems start the damage is done at least as far as it goes along um you know they they talk about you know banking wins well you're banking losses you can't take those away but yeah, I don't know. I I think the the front office is smart. Mookie Betts trade aside and I uh <laughs> I do think that uh, that they can fix the pen if they need to.
1: You know, it's funny you brought that up. I uh Ugh. you know <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've been I've been a, a fan of the Boston Red Sox now for, well, probably since I was about 6 years old, so 54 years now. I cannot mm-hmm. remember a trade that it was the closest I can come to thinking about that was it was when they let Carlton Fisk go to the Chicago White Sox or when they when they sent Fred Lynn to the uh, to the Angels. Um, other than that, I mean, I can't remember a more heinous trade in Red Sox history. It's, it's one of those that I don't think I'll get over until the day I die.
0: I'm with you. It is hard to come up with a good comparison. I think the Fisk one is, is a, is a pretty good one. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, a huge Roger Clemens fan. Um, you know, he, he left for Toronto and he was in Toronto for, but two years and won the Cy Young both years. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't he wasn't a a trade like they didn't actively get rid of him you well know, but he was Dan, Duquette,
1: Dan Duquette did everything he could could to run yes. him out of town I mean there's yes. no question about that
0: yes um and and if you look at, at Clemen's numbers before that you know he he took a, a big leap forward when he got to Toronto and I think that is a you know something that he's talked about where you know he was upset and right. wanted to prove the Red Sox wrong and I, he did I get that <laughs> yeah oh, oh my gosh very much so yeah <laughs> Um, that was one of Duquette's biggest mistakes. Um, and you know, the, the bets deal. Yeah. I I think you said it well, it's not one that, that I'll ever get over. Um, it still hurts shockingly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless,
1: (laughs) you know, unless somehow, you know, one of these guys they got ends up being a hall of famer and it doesn't seem likely to happen. This one's going to be, it's, it's, it stings. And not just because of how talented a player Mookie was, but the kind of person that Mookie was and the joy yeah. with which he played the game. I mean, I just remember his last game in Boston, you know. Oh, yeah, and, you know, yeah. Sliding into home plate, you know, in a game uh-huh. that was absolutely meaningless. And that's the kind of player he was. And that's, I think, I think that's what I miss. Not just the talent. I just miss the way he played the game.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm absolutely with you. Absolutely with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote a piece about Dustin Pedroya and a friend of mine um, emailed me and we were chatting and he said, or I, I told him that the thing I think I miss about Pedroia um, most, maybe not most, but the thing that one of the things that stood out to me about Pedroya is that he was always there. You yeah. know, he, you could count on him being at second base. You know, he was uh, always going to be on the Red Sox and you know you might watch a game on monday a game on tuesday and then maybe you got a business trip and you miss the game on wednesday and the game on thursday come back on friday pedroy is still going to be a second base right. he'll still be there you know yeah. Yeah. that in first or second in the lineup he's going to go two for three with a double off the wall you know make a play in the field whatever um and betts felt like he was going to be that guy yep. you know like he could play in right field every day for you know for the next decade plus and 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 uh, you know, always be good, always, always be driving the team forward in that same, same way. Um, and uh, and now, and now it's not going to be like that. I I do think that Verdugo's a good player. Um, you know, I think he's an above-average fielder. Um, I've never seen Jeter Downs play before, but the reports are glowing. Yep. Uh, so, you know, uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's a way that either of those guys, whatever they do, is going to matter. I think it's going to, it's going to hurt either way.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. (laughs) Well, speaking of playing the game, we are hoping that spring training is going to start in a couple of weeks, and you know we've got a showdown happening between uh, the Major League Baseball Office and the Players Association, setting up a potential uh, strike for next year. I think, unfortunately, but as of right now. We have spring training in two weeks. If you yeah. were a betting man, what are the odds that we play 162 this year?
0: Oh, man, that's a great question. Well, considering that the league is already trying to shrink that number, right? <laughs> I'd have to say it's less than 100%, but I don't know. I think, I think there's a pretty good shot that they end up playing a full season. Okay. I mean, you know, the – we're, we're rolling out the vaccine. People are getting, um, getting their vaccines and, um, you know, I, God willing we'll, we'll make our way through this and, and, uh, and things will get better. And, you know, a baseball season is, is long. So, uh, there's certainly opportunities for things to go wrong, but, you know, last year they set their mind to whatever it was, a 60 game season. And, and, and we did it right. I mean, I think some, some people got, got sick in the beginning, if I remember correctly, I like think the Cardinals and maybe the Diamondbacks.
1: I know the uh, um, the Marlins.
0: Yeah, the Marlins. Yeah. You know. um, but uh, but they got through it. They you know they crowned a World Series. Congratulations, Mookie. And uh, <laughs> they uh, <laughs> so I, I think uh, I think I'm optimistic. But I'm also I also tend to be an optimistic person. So take that for whatever it's worth.
1: Um, what about now part of the deal that Major League Baseball wanted to do in they wanted to shrink it to 154 games, start spring training a month later, and they wanted yeah. to keep the expanded playoffs. And the players were not in favor of that. What's your opinion on uh, how they expanded the playoffs last year?
0: Well, I I don't love it.
1: Okay, we're on the <laughs> but, same page.
0: Yeah, but they're gonna do. Um, I mean, I, I imagine that's the that's the wave of the future. I you know, it just has to get negotiated out. Yeah. Um, you know the the players make their salary over the regular season and they're paid, you know, something for, uh, for the playoffs as well, but it's not on the same scale. Right. So the playoffs are a big money making venture for the, for the owners and the players know that. Um, and so, you know, I think they're happy to, to bargain it into existence, but you know, it's going to have to be bargained in the next CBA, which like you said, I think is, is up in a year or two. Um, and, uh, So I think I think that's probably what's going to happen. I, I I feel like I'm, you know, I I don't want to I don't want to turn into one of those, you know, get off my lawn people. That's me. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have much of a lawn, if I'm being honest. But um, the. uh, The the regular season is so long. And and that's one of the things that I love about baseball. Right. Um, But. I just don't see the value in doing that if you're going to let half the teams into the playoffs, you know, it's at a certain point, you're just wasting your time. Right. Um, and I, baseball isn't a sport like I think the NBA or like football where you can really determine a, a, you know, a, a winner or a which team is better in a short period of time. It really does take a long time. And I don't think anyone wants to have you know, 15 game postseason season series is, <laughs> yeah, I hope not. um, but, uh, but, you know, you would need something along those lines to really, um, to really determine, you know, a, a legitimate winner, I think. And, and, you know, we're already at this one game wild card and then, you know, best of five game series. And I mean, I remember last year going into the playoffs, you know, the Dodgers were the best team. And I, I think, I said the only way the Dodgers are going to lose this is if they just get ridiculously unlucky in the beginning against whoever they were playing in that first three game series. Right. It was the Padres, right? Um, And the Padres were all beat up at that point. So
1: they had no pitching um, left. Yeah.
0: Right. But, uh, you know, if, you know, a couple balls fall in, a guy, you know, gets the flu or something and misses a game, and, and all of a sudden the, you know, the Dodgers, you know, lose two out of three to, whoever, and, uh, and that's the end of their you know 105-win team or whatever it is. So um, I, I hate introducing that kind of luck into a 162-game season.
1: Right, I got one more thing. We could talk for hours, but I got one more thing before we run out of time. Uh, one of the okay. other things that we're talking about this year is whether or not we're going to have the universal DH. Uh, originally, I hated the idea. I always liked the, the difference between the American League and National League. But I have to be honest. I mean, I have come around to the idea. I'm okay with it now. I I didn't think I was going to be, but I actually think I am. And it, to me, this is something the Players Association has got to want. I mean, it, right now, that's the reason Nelson Cruz doesn't have a job right now is because half the teams in the league don't know whether they're going to be able to use him or not.
0: Well, I think that's true in the case of Cruz. And so the thing that, uh, yeah, the the thing that I think you know, the players want is more jobs, right. right? So the only way to create more jobs is either to expand the roster or to expand the number of teams. So changing the DH rule doesn't do either of those things. Um, it's a transfer of jobs. I think maybe it maybe you end up, you know, paying the DH more money than you would, you know, whoever would be that the, you know, the last guy on the roster. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe there's a bit of uh, money to be made there by the players, but most teams don't have a Nelson Cruz or a David Ortiz or a JD Martinez. I mean, those guys exist for sure. and, And I think there will always be some of those players floating around. Um, but I think most teams use the DH as, you know, kind of a spot where they can rest their, their better hitters and pull them, you know, out of the field for a day. Um, So, I mean, as, as your statement, I'm quite happy to have the DH in, in both leagues. I think the pitchers hitting is really boring and it's an example or or a way for pitchers to get hurt too. So, um, I'm, I'm totally fine with it, but it's the kind of thing that I would imagine the owners will attempt to collectively bargain their way into, uh, you know, um, into the next CBA.
1: Well, Matt, it's been great having you on. For folks that are interested in reading your uh, your newsletter the uh, or your blog, the Socks Outsider, how would they uh, go about doing that?
0: Well, you can go to Socks Outsider. That's S O X Outsider at um, Socks Outsider dot That's uh, where the newsletter is, and all you got to do is put your email address in there, and uh, anytime I write it, uh, it'll show up in your inbox free of charge. It's right there. Um, the uh, Sox Outsider podcast is um, just getting going. I recorded that episode with, you Saris and I just recorded another one with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe earlier today. That'll be up tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, I got some other exciting guests coming up too. So people can check that out on iTunes or wherever you find, uh, you know, podcasts. It's the Sox Outsider podcast. So yeah, check it out. Hopefully people enjoy it. I've been getting a good reaction from people, I think, and, it's been a it's been a fun project.
1: Oh, he's a really good writer, folks. So I highly recommend it. You can also find him on Twitter. He's at maddymaddie2000. Uh, is that correct? That's right. As a matter of fact, that's how I found the newsletter was through Twitter. So uh, so, you, you can, so you can find them at MattyMatty2000 on Twitter as well. Matt, we're going to have you on. I'd like to have you on during the season a couple of times a month maybe, and uh, uh, you can give us your perspective. Because I, I know I'm a big Red Sox fan, but sometimes it's always good to get somebody else's perspective. So I don't sound like the get-off-my-lawn kind of guy. So uh, I, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this morning.
0: Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: All right, Matt Corey here on Sports Country Radio. Well, that is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Matt Corey. And as I said, I'm looking forward to having him on uh, during the season. We leave you this morning with some music from the Zach Brown brand. Keep me in mind. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.